Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Jess. And I'm Regan, and this is You Pick, We Watch, the podcast where you pick the movie and we take a deep dive into it, learning everything we can about your recommendation. Today, we're talking about the 2000 film, Final Destination. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to be honest, I had nightmares. <laughs> well, that that's a good thing, considering it's a horror movie. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think this is going to be a fun one to talk about because it brings back a lot of nostalgia for me personally so i think it's really cool you Um, you know it's it's funny because experiencing the like late 90s and early 2000s i couldn't tell you what the like the fashion or what the look of that is but rewatching this movie it's so obvious now (laughs) uh yeah i actually say something about that later i think because it's it's my era because I uh, I was 16 when this came out. So it was like perfect, perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I saw something right before we started. Uh, did, and I want to know if you saw it. Did you see the, the Bruce Willis teaser for maybe Die Hard? What? Yeah. Um, all it was was his daughter rumor willis uh tweeted uh this like teaser and it was bruce willis that and he was like facing off with a bunch of bad guys you know explosions in the background and stuff and he just turns and like takes off his coat and it's like die hard something about die hard coming back and it just was like the date of today and that's all it was nobody knows like if it's a movie if it's a marketing stunt for something else, um, if it's about the TV show that they're trying to do, like, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah, no, that's news to me. Yeah, I will. I'll put the link that I found it on in the show notes, but I thought that was pretty cool. What if what if this is an elaborate stunt to promote Hudson Hawk 2? <laughs> <laughs> I would pay to see that. I would actually go to theaters and see Hudson Hawk too, just to see where they go. <laughs> it's wide open. It's yeah. wide open. <laughs> um, I have a really good get to know you question. I think. Bring it on. All right. What is the first movie that you remember that either scared you or gave you nightmares? <laughs> um. Okay, so I was I was a wee lad when I saw the film Otis and Milo, which is about the friendship between a pug and a farm cat, and <laughs> they part ways at the end, and it made me so it made my six year old self so sad that I think I had like a repeating nightmare about friendship breaking up. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that is awful. Oh. <laughs> That's so sad. It's, it's not a horror movie. It's a pretty well, I don't want to say low stakes movie, but yeah. I don't know. I think the behind the scene I don't wanna watch just so everybody knows, nobody requests that because I don't want to watch it again because I've heard stuff about what they did to the animals during filming and I don't want to look into that. <laughs> yeah, that will give me nightmares again. Yeah. 
for, for different reasons. Right. There were no laws back then. Um, they were drinking claws while they were filming that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I have two. Um, I distinctly remember seeing Beetlejuice I, when I was young. And I was at my dad's. And I remember having a nightmare where on the bed next to me was a bunch of Beetlejuice heads. Oh. And I don't I don't even remember watching it then, like with my dad, but I just I distinctly remember that it's like Beetlejuice heads and I was probably like seven or eight. And then <laughs> the really big one actually I have, I have two more. Um the one I saw in theaters, I saw Jurassic Park in theaters in nineteen ninety three when I was nine years old, which Gave me nightmares for a week. <laughs> I would dream that a Tyrannosaurus Rex was eating my house and like picking me up like he does with the guy in the porter potty. <laughs> oh oh like, no. Dreamt that for a, li- a legit week. And I don't think my mom ever like took me to see an- a movie again for like a long time. <laughs> and then probably when I was. The first like real horror movie I remember seeing was uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is probably like, I think the fifth Freddy Krueger movie. Maybe I could be wrong on that, but my mom was watching it and she wouldn't let me leave the room. She's like, "Sit down and watch this with me." And I'm like, <laughs> "Mom, this is scary." And she's like, "No, just sit. It's it's so lame. Just sit and watch <laughs> it." And I had nightmares again, so. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of similar to, like, my my wife growing up. Her parents, like, didn't let her watch some, you know, some types of movies. But her dad was always into, like, really campy horror movies. But when you're a kid, you don't have a frame of reference for what's campy or not. So, like, Army of Darkness or, like, The Evil Dead might be truly horrifying to, like, a nine-year-old. Yeah. And Killer Clowns from Outer Space, that's another one that mm. I remember my mom sitting me down and watching when I was probably way too young to be watching it. <laughs> I still feel hesitant to watch that to this day. It's very, it's it's super campy. Like, if you take camp, it's like one level above camp, I think. <laughs> and it's uh, making a comeback right now, too. Really? Yeah, I was just in Spencer's yesterday, and there's like Killer Clown from Outer Space merchandise everywhere. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, I recommend. Uh, all right, let's get into this terrifying movie. <laughs> uh, all right. So, an uh, overview: a, After a teenager has a terrifying vision of him and his classmates dying in a plane explosion, he saves himself and a few others, only to have death hunt them down one by one. I'm going to say he did not, like, mean to save everybody else. I think they all just got, like, taken off the plane because he was acting a fool. (laughs) Acting a fool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was, like, warning them to, like, hey, get off the plane. But people got taken off the plane because a fight started. Yeah. So, um, do you remember when you saw this the first time? Well, like many of my stories begin, it was on <laughs> FX, not TNT, FX. Because I remember, um, I don't remember what 
like it wasn't really a show but it was like these two people would host like a special event of like watching a movie on fx and then giving you like trivia throughout and i specifically remember like all the advertisements and stuff leading up to that premiere of final destination on tv and yeah so that had to have been like 2001 or two nice um i'm pretty sure i saw this when it came out we're really close to it um and like i said i was 16 and at this time i was flying like every probably every three months i was flying back and forth um from my school in canada to my home in maine and i was horrified i was terrified and just every time i'd get on a plane (laughs) i would think of this movie and that does say something because that also is one of the most memorable scenes for me on this and they could have just had like the plane going down but there's so many awful things that happen on the plane before it finally explodes yeah and i am devin sawa when (laughs) he's getting on the plane like you know how he looks like he looks down in between the um the terminal and the plane and he's looking at the damage that's by the door and he's like looking out the window and he's watching the um the, the wing come down like that's me to this day when i get on a plane <laughs> uh, it's like it's like the world's most terrifying episode of sherlock just yeah. noticing all these small details that just ratchet that anxiety up to 11 yeah and for someone that has such an anxiety about flying like i don't take anything when i fly <laughs> and I really should because I work myself up so bad. So like watching the beginning of this movie, I was like, Oh my God, that's me. And this is going to happen one day. So That's pretty sure that's where my nightmares came from. <laughs> I don't know if this will help, but I think I heard somewhere that you're allowed to take those tiny, like sample liquor bottles up to like eight in one carry on. So again, don't know if that'll help or just make it worse. <laughs> um yeah i so i talked to my mom after this too because she's a huge fan of horror movies and like this kind of stuff and she she was like yeah i remember watching this and your sister was going on a school trip to jacksonville like the day after she watched this and she panicked like the whole time i was like mom why would you do that (laughs) and then uh she was like she watched the third one which is the roller coaster one (laughs) And I don't think she's been on a roller coaster since. That does that says something. If uh, if a movie does something so right, it makes you scared of something for the rest of your life. Yeah, and it's just because like it's all happenstance. It's all like stuff that you could see happening in real life that will lead to something, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like an insane amount of coincidences lining up one after another but it's not like someone purposely like loosening a bolt on the roller coaster it's a bunch of stuff that ends up like i said just a row of coincidences and then 30 people are dead yeah so um i i think this held up extremely well um for for it being what 20 years old now um yeah the special effects held up the death scenes held up um can I just say the thing I think this movie does best is 
ratcheting up that tension. Like it, him yeah. getting on the plane was so tense. And I like it because everyone else is like smiling, but the music doesn't match what's happening. Like it's really foreboding music. Yeah, and the first thing you see when you get on the plane is a baby crying. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that is my nightmare. Yeah. Flying with babies really sucks. <laughs> but it's like, you know that that plane is going to crash, and, like, you see a baby, and then, like, a mentally challenged person, and you're like, this plane is going to die. And I know that happens in real life, and it's horrible, and it's so sad. But like, why'd they gotta put that there? That just made it so much worse. <laughs> yeah, no one's safe. No. Um also the lead ahead. up to every death scene, too. It's like you're not quite sure how it's gonna go down. So when Todd is like going to shave like the five hairs he has, period, and like nicks his <laughs> neck, like the whole so my wife saw this for the first time like two nights ago. And so she wow. she is like watching through her fingers because she can she handles gore fine. But when it's like really it's kind of like that mundane fear of like, oh, people might be able to slip and slash their throats open, you know, instead yeah. of being stabbed by Michael Myers, which likely will not happen. So it's like she's watching through her fingers. He like nicks his throat. And I can feel her like hold her breath. And then it's like, oh, okay. And then he's trimming his nose hairs. And like you can see the water leaking from the toilet, getting closer to his feet. And she's just like, if he jams his brain with those scissors, she's like, I'm, I'm not sure I'll be able to sleep. And then that's not even what happens. I looked away, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right during that part, I looked away. Because I was like, I couldn't remember how he died. And I was like, I can't see him. I can't see something go up the nose. <laughs> like, that bothered me. But the one death that I could not watch at all was the teachers. <laughs> I had I left the room when that was playing because I remember it being so like over like she had the most <laughs> stuff happen to her. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I can't I can't watch this. I'm gonna go get a snack. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those like screw this person in particular kind of moments. Yeah. But my favorite death was uh, the girl getting hit by the bus. <laughs> Just, I love that. And you can tell, like, and I think that has part of something that like, I watch for in movies. Like, every time the camera kind of looks like that and they're walking in a street, I always think that somebody's going to get hit by a bus. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I <laughs> Even in car scenes, like, people... Uh, when you're ha they're having a conversation in cars and you know the driver looks at the passenger and then all of a sudden you see the car coming and like smash them. Mm -hmm. I think this has a lot to do with that. Yeah, same. I, I just remember when I saw this for the first time, my favorite death was it was between like the teachers and Sean William Scott's because the teachers was it was just again, so many things were happening. It was like so elaborate and then with his like that piece of metal that flies out and just cuts his head off i don't think i was expecting that so when something crazy like that happened i remember laughing just because again i did not see that coming yeah um speaking of sean william scott let's go to the cast because this is like a who's who of the late 90s <laughs> and early 2000s so you have Devin Sawa, who played uh, the main character, 
Alex, who was one of the heartthrobs of the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, he was on every cover of Tiger Beat. People remember that. <laughs> uh, and also, funny enough, and I didn't realize this, the person that requested this movie, who I don't have their name, just their like email, which was like Gorilla something. Um, he's in the two other movies that that person requested, which are Casper and Idle Hands. <laughs> right on. Uh, I thought that was, yeah. Um, I did love him in Little Giants, though. <laughs> wow. That's right. So he was he was a pretty young actor, like already leading mm-hmm. into this. Yeah, he kind of peaked after this movie. Um, I think he did a few more things, but and he's done some stuff recently. But he did that Eminem video, Stan. Oh, um, that is him, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then after that, he like kind of disappears and just does. Like, you'll see him pop up every once in a while, but he was no way as big as he was then. Hmm. I gotcha. That that last part of that description reminds me of Casper uh, Van Dien from uh, Starship Troopers. Yep. You know, it's like you see him in that movie and then in, like, Sleepy Hollow and then just in tiny little parts here and there. Yeah. Um, Allie Larder, who, whose name the whole movie I thought was Claire, but it's clear. Like C L E A R. You know what? Her last name is Rivers too, so it's Clear Rivers. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> what is that name? <laughs> um, actually, I read some. I read that somewhere. It was something to do with the production team. It was somebody's last name, and I can't remember why it was Clear, okay. but they did say something about that. Which actually, most of the characters going into the little trivia. I don't know if you have this one, but most of the characters are named after uh, horror, like classic horror people that played in old horror movies or like people that wrote stuff like uh, Sean William Scott's last uh, last name is Hitchcock. Mm. And that's a reference to Alfred Hitchcock. As soon as I heard them say Hitchcock, I was like, that can't be a coincidence. <laughs> um, but yeah, Allie Larder. So she was also a staple of the 90s and 2000s. She reprised her role from this one in Final Destination 2, which is probably my favorite of the series. And she did 10 movies from 1998 to 2003. Oh, oh wow. Well, that's pretty yeah. good. Um, Kerr Smith, who plays Carter, he gets third billing on this, mo- mostly because he's the only other one to survive the longest. Um, he looks looks really familiar. But I didn't recognize him from any anything. So when I looked him up, it was uh, he was in Dawson's Creek for a while. I never watched it, um, and he was also in Charmed that I did watch. So he did a lot of TV, um, and currently you can see him in Riverdale. But he didn't do a lot of movies, so that's probably why I didn't really recognize him. Hmm. Okay, you know, is it ever really explained why he and the main character don't like each other? Because he's like, at at all points in the movie, except at the end, he's like really, really got a problem with uh, Sawa. Yeah, I don't think it was ever explained. Um, probably because that guy was just like a typical jerk, like high, the high school mm-hmm. jerk guy. And then he was mad because he saved his life. And he's like, no, you didn't. I control my life. 
type deal. Mm. And then Dev and then Devin Sawa saves his life again. <laughs> Which makes him only and, angrier. Yeah, basically. That's what I think. And let's take a step back, actually, and just think about how much death these people have seen <laughs> and how well they handle this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was something that Liz brought up, too, because she's a therapist. And she's like, you know what? Everyone's doing rather all right after such a traumatic incident. Yeah, like after the plane crash, you can see them all like like processing it and being sad and like having a hard time. And then people literally start dying left and right that should have died on the plane. And they're like, oh, well. <laughs> I'm just going to try to survive now. Like if I saw somebody get hit by a bus in front of me, I mean, I saw somebody get hit by a car and it affected me for like months. So, and that person like lived and was fine. I couldn't imagine blood everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Same. It's maybe it's once you get the big one out of the way, the other ones aren't so bad. (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> my teacher um, got stabbed. And then we were talking about teacher got stabbed by a yeah. knife. Ah, I saw a plane blow up. It's not that bad, right? Um, yeah, my friend's head got <laughs> decapitated in front of me. It's cool. <laughs> Let's go to Paris. <laughs> they would have wanted us to. Yeah. Um, we talked about Sean William Scott. Everybody knows him as Stifler from the American Pie series. Again, he was really big in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, he did 11 movies from 99 to 2003. And then him and Allie Larder would join again in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Huh. Which is one of my I, favorite I love that movie, but 90s. I can't place either of them in that movie. Uh, she plays one of the burglars that's going to rob the diamond. Oh, okay. um, and then he plays the like guy with the guitar <laughs> in the van and that Jay throws out. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Just little bit parts. So that's it for like the, well, the guy that plays Candyman is in this <laughs> as who I think is death, but yeah, the mortician that, guy. Yeah. Um, that leads into like the trivia stuff. He said, or, or they said, considering his extensive knowledge of death's design and how it works, many Final Fan- Final, well, Final <laughs> Destination fans have <laughs> don't want to confuse those two. Uh, have theorized that William Bloodworth must have been a human personification of death, uh, which I think you said to me too while you were watching mm-hmm. this, um, or at least some kind of representation of death. However, both Tony Todd himself and Final Destination's producers have denied that being true. <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I don't, don't think believe so. them. Yeah. Especially because he comes back in 2 uh, and 3. Or 2 and, yeah, 2, 3. I think he's in 3 or 4 of them, actually. So. Yeah, that's that's not, that can't be just a coincidence. You know, I, I did um, find out that the director, James Wong, this was actually the first feature film he directed. 
the yeah, I thought it was a different James Wong. There is another one out there, isn't there? Yeah, well, I can't remember. It might be James Wan, like W-A-N, and this is W-O-N-G. Mm. But I know there's... Because I, I... Sorry, go ahead. I saw it come up on the screen, and I was like, James Wong? Why do I feel like that's really familiar? But he did nothing, really. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, he did direct the one, uh... The following year, which is a pretty solid Jet Li movie. I'm not going to say it is great, but I always liked it. It's one of those movies that <laughs> if I saw it on TV, I'd just drop what I was doing. I was trying to think of what that was like the whole time I was looking at his stuff. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And now that when you say it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that <laughs> movie now. He he did that in Dragon Ball Evolution, and most notably after that <laughs> movie, he's only done like TV. Yeah, because um, Dragon Ball Evolution was uh, hot, a show. Hot garbage. There we go. <laughs> a hot, yeah, a hot mess. <laughs> um, they that movie was cast <laughs> so wrong, so wrong. Ugh. Um, so this movie obviously didn't win any Oscars or anything um, because horror movies up until Get Out, which came out a couple of years ago, really weren't ever nominated for anything. Um, but they did get um, a Saturn Award, which is the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films. Um, they won Best Horror Film and Best Performance by a Younger Actor. Uh, for Devin Sawa. And then Blockbuster had awards <laughs> back in the day. And uh, they were nominated for Favorite Actress, Horror, Internet Only. So these were Internet Only <laughs> votes, which the Internet was in its infancy back then. Um, favorite Actress and Favorite Actor. So There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um... This story was actually an ori- was originally the concept for an abandoned X-Files television script, which was inspired by the 1984 movie Soul Survivor. Not to be confused with Elijah Dushku's 2001 Soul Survivors. <laughs> All right. That's pretty cool. <laughs> actually, uh, James Wong, he directed a few episodes of the X-Files in the 90s. So I think... There's got to be some sort of connection there. Yeah. Yeah, I think they said um, that he... Well, he yeah, he wrote the movie. I think, yeah, he wrote part of it, or he wrote it with some other people in 94. So it was right, right around the same time as uh, the X-Files that he was doing. So uh, I looked up that Soul Survivor movie from 1984. That It looks really mm-hmm. good. It's a, about another like survivor of a plane crash who death keeps coming <laughs> after her. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it's probably cheesy, but as most 80s horror movies are. So, um, Care Smith and Sean William Scott. So for that infamous, you know, plane scene where everything starts going wrong and it's about to crash. They actually took uh, Dramamine for motion sickness before each plane crash take and were basically half asleep in those scenes. And that's why they weren't really shown close up a whole lot. 
man. Um, they actually, that plane set was built on a gimbal to make it shake. So they actually built a whole set on something that moves. And then when they were done filming that, they changed it to Clear's top floor when she runs through the house in the storm sequence. So I thought that, that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So purpose. early in the movie, that shot when um, Alex's bedside clock fades from 1 a.m. to 108, it took five days to get that one scene correct, that one like transition. <laughs> That's crazy. Like at that point, I would have just done yeah, CG. Yeah, exactly. At some point, you just got to cut your losses. Five days is a lot to nail yeah. a transition. But apparently, also, yeah. uh, Devin Sawa was only supposed to pretend to be asleep and he fell asleep on set for like four hours in that bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. There are so many, like, I was reading through everything that I could find, and there are so many references to the 180, the uh, flight number. Um, there's so many, like, foreboding, like... Um, foreshadowing? What's the word for it? Yes, foreshadowing. There's so much foreshadowing and so many little uh, Easter eggs in the movie about how people are going to die. Um like uh, when Todd is on the plane and the girls are asking Alex to move, Todd makes like a hanging motion with his <laughs> hands, like and like stuff like that. And then there's uh, a guillotine in the opening credits, which the opening like sequence is probably one of the best opening sequence I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it's you can tell a lot of care was put into that movie. You know, like people. Mm-hmm. clearly they they cared a lot about uh its production because like you said there's so many references and uh foreshadowing notes in there that like i think i saw the number 180 like at least five different times during the course of the movie and mm-hmm. um when devon saw was getting on the plane at some point he looks at some luggage and it's got like 666 on it and it's one of those, like, there's so many little warning signs that you're not really aware of your first watch through. But if you know to look for them, they're absolutely everywhere. Yeah, this is definitely a movie you should watch through a couple times to notice all those things. Um, I will <laughs> not be watching it again for a while. But I might, I might watch the second one soon. Because I really do like the second one. So... Um, but the numerous appearances of 180 in the film refer to the film's original title of Flight 180. Hmm. Uh, New Line decided to rename the film final, to Final Destination through fear of confusion of other films like Air Force One or Con Air. Um, imagine if they had kept the original title. Like, where would they have gone with the sequel? Yeah, Flight 181. Right, like... <laughs> At that point, I wouldn't get on any flights that were like one eight anything. <laughs> yeah, I think actually Final Destination is a much better title because, like, Flight One Eighty One, you're not really sure what type of movie that might be, and Final Destination sounds a bit more foreboding, and it's kind of like death yeah. is your final destination, but possibly yeah. eclipsing all those, 
um, the Chinese title translates to the death God comes. That's pretty badass. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. I, I like that title so much. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, so much of the news footage uh, is actual footage from the July 96 explosion and crash of TWA Flight 800 off Long Island. Um, are you, you're probably not old enough to remember when no, that happened, we, right? You said that was like 98? 96. Oh, yeah, 96. That was six years old. Yeah. Um, I was 12. So, and I, I remember seeing this on the news and everything about TWA. And there, it like has so many similarities to that. Like on that TWA flight, they were carrying, it was a high school French club on there. Um, it exploded right after takeoff and they investigated it as like they did in the movie, like not an accident, but it was determined like in the movie to be a mechanical failure. So, but it was written in 1994. So what you're saying is this was, oh, I was going to say it was based on a true story, but yeah, that math doesn't add up, Regan. (laughs) No. But like the similarities, like when coincidences like that happen, isn't so that So it weird? sounds like someone got a premonition of what would happen years before it was relevant and decided to make a movie out of it. Yeah, it's like the guy that wrote the book about the Titan and it has all the similarities with the huh. Titanic. But it was written like 20 years earlier or whatever. <laughs> weird. Yeah, creepy. So if you yeah. have any weird dreams or weird premonitions, uh, it's definitely going to happen is what I'm hearing from this. Might not be tomorrow, or mm-hmm. year, but 50 years down the line, that train's coming off the rails. Yeah, might be <laughs> literally. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, so I thought that was kind of just weird. You know what? I thought was pretty interesting and was a cool kind of move was uh, this was the first theatrically released teen horror film to not feature a like physical murderer. The only other theatrically theat why do I have a hard time with that word theatrically released horror <laughs> films to date uh, not having a visible killer is uh, Ouija unfriended truth or dare and all of those are Blumhouse productions. Yeah, I have not seen any of them because I'm afraid of newer horror movies because they tend to be really gory. So I'm not a big fan of gore, even though I love the (laughs) Saw movies. See, that's that's actually those are that's only franchise that I'm hesitant to like watch. I've seen a couple of them and they're not that bad. But if I watched them when they came out, it would freak me out something fierce. Because I used to not do yeah. very well with gore. They get progressively gorier as it goes on. Um, me and my sister marathoned all seven of them in a two-day period once. And it it gets it goes off the rails at some point. Like I couldn't even tell you the story after like four. <laughs> and 
it goes it gets so gory but one and two i think are so psychological that they're really really yeah. good yeah i'd agree with that i think those are the only two i've seen and i was pretty impressed with those i know that last year or maybe it was two years ago i saw a trailer for the newest edition into the saw franchise i think it's called like spot uh actually it's new i think it's newer than that because it's called like spirals or something and it's it's starring was it some actor from handmaid's tale and chris rock yeah that's what surprised me about it oh i did yeah i heard about that i heard about the chris rock thing let me i'm gonna chris rock saw 2021 spiral that'll be coming out hasn't even come out yet okay no yeah yeah um the ninth installment uh sam jackson's (laughs) gonna be in it okay fair enough yeah i'll I'll take it. it so not great for chris rock but great for fans I, in a way, um, is he went through a divorce and is now doing a lot of work because, you know, divorces are awful. But I've noticed that he's like in the new season of Fargo and he's got this movie coming out. And I've seen him in like four separate trailers for stuff that I actually want to see after having not really seen him do a whole lot in the past like d- decade almost. Yeah, he just uh, hosted SNL huh. too, a couple weeks ago. Right on. So, he's coming yeah. back. He's coming back. Um, if this film had been released, or this film was released before September 11, 2001. It was released March 17, 2000. If this film had been released, and if the timeline of the film was after September 11, the flight would have been canceled and never departed after the survivors got off the plane because of all the changes that happened after oh, yeah. uh, September 11th. Once, like, he, Devin saw nobody would have been able to get off the plane or everybody would have <laughs> Yeah, and if plane. you're shouting about how the plane's going to blow up, it would definitely not take off. Yeah. Um, and I, last October, just about a year ago, actually, I was on a flight to Newark, New Jersey, and I was on a little tiny, I never fly uh, American Airlines or United when I pick my flights, but if I have to travel for work, somehow I always get on like a United or a American Airlines or Continental awful flight. So I was on this flight, and I shit you not, and I don't, I don't <laughs> swear on this podcast much, but I shit you not. I am surprised that I am alive because of the weather. Um, And when we got rerouted, like we were coming down to land in New Jersey and they closed the airport as we were coming to land. So we had to take like back off and go back up and go around and we got rerouted to Albany and we landed and I'm crying. (laughs) Let me just tell you, I am in tears crying thinking i'm gonna die on this plane the woman next to me like begs the stewardess to let her off the plane when we got to albany and that's usually not allowed like you can't you can't get off a plane once it's en route and stuff 
Well, so many people wanted to get off this plane that they let like 10 people off of the plane. And they were like, you can't get your luggage. You can't get anything. Like you'll have to like get it at the airport <laughs> in Jersey. And like, all I could think about was like this movie. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, I am going to die. But thankfully, obviously I'm here, but stuff like that only happens when I don't fly my normal airlines. And I tell you, it was the worst experience I've ever had. And to see people get off a plane and you, when you want to and you can't, like, it was that sounds like a nightmare. That was terrifying. It was. It was <laughs> a nightmare in itself. Oh, and I had nightmares about that. I, yeah, I the <laughs> worst experience I had on a flight was um, on my way back from the Dominican Republic. Uh, my wife and I, it was her first time flying. And you know how it's like you're fly- when you're flying with someone who's new to the experience, they're very visibly tense, and I felt fine. But when we're on our way back, going from Atlanta to New York City, when we were about to land, we hit the worst turbulence I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, I've experienced turbulence, and this what it's felt like. This felt like God had the plane by both hands and was like rattling it around over his head like a cocktail shaker. Oh my god. It was ridiculous. But I I was like holding her hand and like smiling and internally I was praying that that like that I just wouldn't die because I felt like this plane was for sure going down. And as soon as we landed, I it just felt like a huge weight was off my shoulders and then i remembered that we had to fly from new york city back to buffalo so i had to get on another plane oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i know it's it's awful it's awful to think about that stuff and like i couldn't imagine ever being in a, that position like i people get so upset about flying and like the weights and the airports and everything and i'm like People should be astounded. You are in a metal tube hurtling <laughs> through the air hundreds of miles an hour. It is yeah. black magic. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it's I am visibly anxious and tense every time I get on a plane. But, yeah, you're right. When I went to Florida uh, with my wife and kids, like it was the kids first time on a plane. And it was my wife's like only second time. And I'm like, I have to be, I have to be like smiley and happy and everything's fine. The whole thing. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt too. I was like, don't let her know this isn't normal <laughs> as I'm internally freaking out. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, if you guys have any uh, horror stories of flying, let us know. So we feel like we're not alone. Email the podcast <laughs> so I can sleep tonight. Yeah. Um, you know what surprised so... me is that uh, apparently the original casting choices for Alex and Clear were Toby Maguire and Kirsten Dunst, which obviously went on to do uh, to gosh to take like the leading roles in the Spider Man trilogy of the early two thousands. But it's so yeah, that was probably a oh, good yeah. choice on their part. Definitely. But that's that's weird. That's a weird yeah. almost casting coincidence there. It is because neither of them are horror like 
I wouldn't picture yeah. them in a horror movie. Exactly. You know, it's Toby Maguire was that like kid next door from like Cider House Rules hmm. and Pleasantville. Exactly. And Kristen Dunst was. Well, I guess she was in Interview yeah. with a Vampire. Wasn't oh, she was like 12, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I think they made Definitely. the right choice. Um, Todd's name is spelt with one D instead of the traditional spelling of two. And in German, Todd means <laughs> Of course death. it does. <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually spe- um, Whoops, they sorry, also. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, you talked about, like, the music and stuff in there. And all the music throughout the film, uh, or not all, but a lot of the music played throughout the film was by mm. John Denver, a musician who died in a plane crash. <laughs> that wasn't lost on me. I uh, I noticed one of the songs. Yeah. And I was like, wait a second. I'm, I'm noticing a theme here. Um, <laughs> I guess the original plan was to have uh, death be a more like obvious entity in the film um, as it was with Todd's death where he saw like a shadow in the mirror and the running water kind of seeped back into the toilet to cover its tracks and after Todd's death it was decided to have it be more like accidents as opposed to something physical there trying to kill you. Yeah, I noticed that, and it it kind of felt out of place. Like, I would have almost cut, or, like, cut out the scene where you see it going back, the water going back into the toilet. I would have left, like, Mm. the water there um, if I was making it, because it seems out of place. Like, something was out to get him in that one, and then everybody, you're right, like, everybody else was just an accident. (laughs) the teacher just uh, had well, I noticed really that bad luck. It was uh, similar with the teacher, too, because she saw, like, a weird reflection in her... Um, I don't want to say teapot. What is that? Yep. That's yeah. true. Um, it was a teapot, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like a... Or was it her computer? Whatever she was heating up the water on the stove with. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of the teacher, though, that you remember that moment when the glass explodes from her computer and like shoots right into her neck? <laughs> no, because uh, I walked out of the okay, room. Okay, so that yes, happens. I, I know about um, it. <laughs> her computer explodes, glass shoots out and hits her right in the neck. And apparently that was filmed backwards <laughs> where they they shot the glass being yanked away from her neck with a line that was digitally erased in post. I like that. I like when they do cool tricks like that. Also, with the with her death, um, she was placed under the floor, and a silicone body was um, placed on the floor, so the knife they could film the knife huh. actually. And going it really does look like that knife is impaling her. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like you said cool. about foreshadowing, um, when she examines the smoke coming out of her monitor. There's an image of a large like dagger in the background. Um, it's part of the design on her stained glass door. And that apparently was um, really obvious like foreshadowing of how she's going to die. Yeah. 
I want to know what happens like in the scenes you don't see, like whoever she was talking to, like what did that person do? How did that person find out what happened? Or um, like Sean William Scott, you see his parents. So I'd like to know like what happened to his parents. What did his parents do after his head was decapitated? Did they just leave him on the side of the road? <sighs> yeah, I want to know all these facts. I want to know how they explained that death you know to the parents <laughs> we found him next to the train tracks and his head was off don't know how that happened todd killed todd apparently killed himself Sean william scott he we just found him like that right <laughs> um so i saw i found this thing about roger ebert And I thought it was kind of cool. So he says, it's no secret that legendary movie critic Roger Ebert was not a fan of horror movies. Much more often than not, every horror flick to hit theaters would be given a scathing review by Ebert, usually referring to them (laughs) as dead teenager movies. Ebert rarely had anything to say about films from the genre that wasn't completely negative. Given its simplistic nature and the fact that it's a horror movie, you think Robert Ebert would be quick to tear apart Final Destination. However, Ebert surprisingly gave it a rather positive review, calling it smarter and more original than most <laughs> dead teenager movies. Ebert predicted that the film would be a hit and inspire multiple sequels, saying he even has visions of his own. Ebert felt the movie was too good to be the end of the road, and he ultimately wow. gave it three out of four stars. I will say that yeah. this is a pretty original concept. Right. Like before this came out, I don't think I've ever seen a movie quite like it. Yeah, I think the <laughs> whole dead teenager movies thing, um, I think honestly, they all are pretty original for their time. Um, like Scream took all the tropes of horror movies and used it as its own thing which i thought was really awesome that movie gave a lot of like red herrings and stuff so you mm-hmm. never really know what was going on um then you had i know what you did last summer which that one was kind of like standard slasher almost like texas chainsaw massacre i think type stuff um just that you knew that somebody was coming after them um another one of my favorites that I think is really original is Urban Legend. I was hoping you'd bring that one up. Yeah, it just seems like the 90s or maybe I'm over overly like honing in on that particularly, but it seems like the 90s, like mid to late 90s had like a boom of like pretty good and original horror movies. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think everything well Blair Witch yeah. came out in that same time period um which revolutionized yeah. horror movies I don't think for the next like four years after that you could see a horror movie there was at least one yeah, horror like found movie footage that was, style. Like, shaky cam yeah um I think they all brought something to the table um fun fact about urban legend though the helicopter shot of the school that you see at the beginning where it's like an overhead shot flying over. Uh, that's my high school that I went to. <laughs> Wait, in what? Canada. Yep. 
the school used to, the school is really old. It's like 150 years old and it looks like a college campus. So uh, they would sometimes rent, not rent out, but like allow people to film. Like they filmed a movie what? while I was there too. Um, but the, yeah, the helicopter shot or like the plane, the overhead shot is uh, my high school and it's, they don't use it for any of the internal scenes. It's just the overhead view. But I thought it was pretty awesome, awesome when I found that out. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. I did uh, see something in... Uh, just speaking of aerial shots like that, real quick, I saw something really cool in a behind-the-scenes look at um, the new movie, The Outpost. It's kind of... It's a war movie, but... Yeah. Uh, when I saw how they filmed one of the scenes, there was like someone holding a camera, holding the camera with both his hands. But I noticed that like the camera was attached to a drone. So it's like the blades are spinning and everything. And he's walking it around a building and then lets go as it hovers away and transitions into like this aerial shot. And I noticed in the movie, there were a lot of really smooth transitions from like a walking cam into all of a sudden you're in the air. I think that's definitely that's cool. gonna be like a like a a more eh, probably not a more affordable way to get aerial shots because you don't need to like get a helicopter and still have it be kind of choppy. It's all one smooth drone shot. Yeah, I think drones are definitely gonna be the future for overhead aerial walking to aerial like any type that you have a hard time getting a camera there, that's, I think it's definitely going to revolutionize, be one of those things that when you can't get CG or you can't use that kind of stuff to use drones. Like, um, oh, what's his name? John Favreau, like, always says how hard doing plane shots are because you have to have the plane filming, the planes, the two, the planes that you're using the planes for the, the cast and crew, like you have to have so many planes and I think drones are going to be able to alleviate some of that headache. Uh, yeah. I didn't even think like about that. <laughs> yep. Um, so there are a couple different endings, um, alternate versions of this movie. And I'm going to tell you what happens in one of them <laughs> because nobody needs to see this. Bring it. Okay. First of all, uh, the version that aired on TV on the Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. silences all the profanity and cuts away right before the what? death sequences. So, I don't know how much of the teacher's death you get to see. <laughs> you, cuts away. You just see, you just see Devin Sawa you know? <laughs> go in the house and then run back out as it explodes. Yeah. Um. There was an alternate ending of the film where Alex gets decapitated by a stray rudder from a downed police helicopter. That one would have been it. okay. But here's where it gets weird. The DVD, which I have the DVD, and that was a pretty fun DVD. Um, there are deleted scenes. There, You know when uh, Claire finds mm -hmm. Alex on the beach? Um, there was supposed to be a love scene what? there. Then, Clear was supposed to have a find uh, take a pregnancy test to find out she was pregnant what? from that. 
then the ending where then it was going to end where Alex is electrocuted and dies and then after having their child Clear has the gift of seeing death before it happens and then what? Carter also survived <laughs> right <sighs> that is so weird so glad they cut that out. yeah um, and those are all like deleted scenes on there so you, they they filmed them and then they were like, man, now maybe we should It took me a long out. time to realize that, like, when actors do a movie, they're not sure what the final outcome of that movie is going to be based on, like, how they edit it. Huh. Yeah, yeah. that could have took a real left turn. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. The DVD also has two games on it. Uh, one of them is your death clock, where you answer random questions like are you a smoker do you exercise things like that and mine said that i have nine years left so <laughs> it's been good been knowing good seeing you yeah <laughs> um and then there was uh another one that like you pick what happens or something um <laughs> but it got scary so i stopped uh, i i don't <laughs> like the idea of a death clock No. Do you remember oh, that from course. the internet back yeah. in the day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to say something like mm. 10 years ago. But no. It said now you have to future. know 2030 like, oh. is going to be an exciting year for Jess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Uh, I just have like the budget and the uh, other movies that came out or the uh, grossing, highest grossing movies uh, that we yes, give any other got, ones. Um, let's see, two and a half more. So, <laughs> when exactly <laughs> right um, on point, when Carter at the end is killed by the neon sign, it actually shows the number 180 as a reference to the plane, one of the many references to the plane. I was always I'm mad at the ending because why would it wait? It, that long yeah, <laughs> after back? the movie ended, like my wife had so many questions, and then when I tried to explain it, I was like, "Oh shit, I have so many questions now." <laughs> now I'm even more confused. Yeah. So I like that's why I like the second. Like the second one's a direct sequel to the first one, where the other ones I think are more standalone. So. You get a little more out of the second one, but yeah, I don't like... I just remember one of the movies involving um, being on the road and there's like a lumber truck ahead of the main character's car and then like two by fours or something start like flying off the back and like impales one of the... I don't know, but I just remember thinking about that every time I saw one of those trucks on the road for like a decade. Like that really stuck with me for some reason. That's in the second one. And in Maine, when you drive up past a certain point, <laughs> that's all you see on the road. <laughs> and bet. yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, <laughs> so when Terry gets hit by that bus, which I thought was a fantastic scene in the movie, uh, the Alka-Seltzer sequence, which follows her demise, had to be extended because test audiences were still recovering from the shock of her suddenly getting hit by a bus. 
but leading uh, perfect segue um right after she gets hit by the bus everyone's sprayed with blood and when alex turns there's a seven on his cheek in blood which is a reference to the seven people who got off the flight so i i think there was another fact i was reading that was trying to make the case of there might be hidden numbers of like death counting down the survivors And mm, if yeah. that's true, I mean, I only noticed the seven, but if that's true, then that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it was it, how they did that was pretty interesting. But wouldn't that one be if she died, shouldn't it be like a five after or six? Because Todd had I, already died. Was it, I thought there were eight survivors. And then Todd. Oh, yeah. Um, you know what? I don't know. But it would be cool. Like, yeah. that would have been a cool little Easter egg to put in there. Wishful thinking. <laughs> there's a lot of little, yeah, there's a lot of little cool things, though. Like, there's so much. We could talk about all the little things in this and movie I, for, like, I really hours. appreciate that because that's, this is the type of movie that doesn't really need to have the depth that it does. Like, it's a little more intricate than it has to be. In a good way. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, so the budget for this movie was $23 million, which, you know, for a horror movie, I'd say that's a little high. Um, especially for the for 2000 but it paid off because opening weekend mm. it made back 10 million and then it grossed 53 uh in the u.s and 112 million worldwide hell yeah <laughs> um but that so what had come out um in february it didn't seem like it it wasn't a big year. Well, I guess it was. In February, you had Scream 3 came out, which was uh, number one for two weeks. And it broke Star Wars Episode 5 um, highest weekend debut. Um, and it broke Scream 2's record for weekend debut for a slasher film. Hmm. So... Um, that was kind of cool. And then after that, you had for three weeks, you had the whole nine yards, which was Bruce Willis's. I've only seen parts of it, but he's like, oh yeah, you know what? I actually really like that movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I own it, but I've never seen it. Um, but yeah, it's that was number one for three weeks, so. Must not have been a lot, of, a lot of stuff coming out. Um, and then for one week, he had Mission to Mars, which was actually inspired by a Walt Disney theme park attraction, um, which I have to find this movie now, actually, because it's a space movie and it's one I don't have. Um, I can't remember anything about it the ride or anything i'm pretty sure i'd been on the ride but it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore i can tell you that <laughs> um and then the weekend that um this movie came out 
Aaron Brockovich came out. So you were like, you had Julia Roberts, who was at her height oh, yeah, in the year 2000, Roberts. doing like, yeah, doing a environmentalist true story film. So you're going to get a ton of people that go to see that. That was number one for three weeks. Um, then you had in April Rules of Engagement, which I thought was more of an indie movie. <laughs> oh, wait, no, wrong Rules of Engagement. <laughs> this one is the uh, huh. war movie with uh, Sam Jackson and Tommy okay. Lee Jones. Uh, then you had U571, which is another war movie. It was about the submarine uh, that was captured by Americans. Yeah, that was they used that's it got one of the something? most claustrophobic scenes I've seen in a movie I've where someone that. has to swim through like a flooded part of the submarine to like uh, I don't know, to do something important but it's such a small space and he's underwater so it's really frantic because he's trying to hold his breath and like <laughs> save everyone else oh it's so friggin tense yeah uh and then in may you had gladiator and oh. mission impossible too so it was a pretty big like not movies that you would expect yeah. to be number ones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. So it was a good year. I'm just looking at some of the other stuff that came out. There was <laughs> scary movie came out later that year, which is my favorite. Like, <laughs> like spoof movie. X Men came out right after that. Uh. Meet the Parents, Charlie's Angels, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Castaway. So as the year went on, it got to be like bigger movies that you would expect to kind of be number one. But the beginning of the year was kind of... I always like learning about that. Yeah. I like seeing what came out. All right. Let's see. So thumb time. And I think... (laughs) You might be surprised. I I want I like this movie and I love the early nineties and or I love the nineties and the early two thousands. Um and like you said earlier, you didn't know like clothing, style, everything, like you would assume that this is it, this is nineties. And that's I think everything that's filmed at this time like is a period piece almost for the nineties. Um it's like people watching movies from the seventies. In the 90s. Does that make sense? Like, it was 20, it's actually longer now because it's 30 years, but well, 20, 30. Um, that being said, um, I don't think that this one had the same uh, lasting effects as maybe Scream or I Know What You Did Last Summer or just like those, or like Blair Witch, just those like really big ones that when people say horror, like those are classic movies almost for our generation. Um, and those were released in like 96, 97. Um, but I do definitely think it was part of the teenage horror years. Uh, it was like every year you had a teenage horror movie that came out. And I think they're so much better than the ones that have come out 
in the past like 10 years. I don't know if that's just me. Um, I think it was a fresh take on the slasher killer movie. And it wasn't as predictable as I thought it would be. Um, however, there are like weird loose ends and stuff like people dying and not, not really like doing anything. And the ending really bothers me. So with that, I'm going to give it one thumb up because while it's really good, <laughs> I think they could have tightened it up. Yeah, a bit. I'd actually, I agree with everything you said there. Like it's a, it's a fresh take on what's kind of like a tired genre at that point. It was successful enough to spawn sequels because, because it was an original idea. Um, <laughs> there are times when the acting's a little bit weird or like, I don't know, people are just delivering lines in a very strange way. Um, like you said, there's some loose ends or maybe like plot holes. Uh, the ending is just, it, it's weird because I'm trying to understand the logic of them trying to figure out exactly what's happening. And they sound so sure that like, uh Sawa's like the next one on the list or like death circling back for them or something it's just a little more clarity there would have I think kind of tied it up a little better but all things considered I think it holds up I really enjoyed watching it again and I'd give it one thumb one thumb up very nice yeah, I mean it's not it's not a bad movie, and we know that they took care going into this, absolutely, because there's so many little things. So if you haven't seen it in a long time, definitely revisit it. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it it's the spooky and season, it's good, and I'd so. say it's worth a watch. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, as long yes. as you're not going on any plane ride soon. <laughs> So we got a couple emails this week. Um, Matt R. sent one in for Christmas movies. So he says, uh, the three Christmas movies I watch every year, usually all in a row while consuming way too much popcorn, which is probably only <laughs> two handfuls for you, Matt. But anyway, <laughs> uh, his three are Home Alone, Home Alone hmm. 2, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Can these be added to the Christmas movie list? And yeah. They, uh, I have added them to our Christmas list. Exactly. You watch Christmas Vacation every year anyway, right? Yeah. Um, I think I watched Home Alone 1 and 2 last year. My, but, my um, yeah, traditional so on Christmas lineup. Because I, I always watch three specific holiday movies when that time rolls around. It's always Christmas Vacation, uh, Scrooged with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. No, uh, Bill Murray. What am I talking about? And then, <laughs> oh, you know what? I can't actually remember the third one. <laughs> oh, the ref. Yeah, the ref with um, Dennis Leary. That's oh. that's that's a fun one. Oh yeah. Um, mine that I usually watch are Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, year without a Santa Claus, and that's really it. Um, unless my wife wants to watch something, hmm. uh, like she likes Scrooged, 
Um, so we'll, we might watch that. But um, yeah, now that can I don't know, say, I don't watch a lot of Christmas movies anymore. Can we say anymore, that so. the Muppet uh, Christmas nice. Carol is like one of the best interpretations of that original story, like one of the best um, adaptions of that? It's great. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely, that's the best one. I mean, they're singing, and they cut out the horrible song that they sing huh. with, when Scrooge is with that girl. Like, I have the version, I have a version where it's not cut out, and I have, I read something that going forward, they cut it out because <laughs> so many people hated that part. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and then we got an, an email from Matt B., um, and he says, what I enjoyed about Final Destination and what made it so suspenseful is that unlike the slasher or monster flicks that were popular of the time, there wasn't a physical being behind the killings. With most films, you see the thing that is picking off to teenagers, and you assume that the last teen standing will face off with it, defeat it, and it will be resur- resurrected in the sequel. In this movie, you never see anything manifest, just the circumstances being created to kill the person there's no guy in a mask that can be outsmarted and vanquished so there isn't hope that the protagonist will survive which i think you and i both agreed that that was a really cool uh reason oh, thing absolutely. That happened in this and movie, it's funny because i just realized in this moment i don't like natural disaster movies like 2012 or uh, day after tomorrow was all right but i don't like those movies because there isn't like a physical thing you can outsmart or like kill but that's actually what i love about this movie weird how that happens yeah that being said somebody should totally request Twister yeah oh that yeah that, that's the exception that i do movie. like that movie <laughs> <laughs> um and then matt goes on to movie suggestions So I was watching the trailer to Final Destination and YouTube suggested The Faculty. I remember loving this movie as a teenager, but now realize it's a Robert Rodriguez film with a lot of current and future celebrities. (laughs) It's also a total ripoff of John Carpenter's thing. So um, I added that one to our Halloween list, but that's a good one to watch anytime too. That was another one that if I saw it on TV, I'd just drop it on the I think I get that one and the skulls. I don't think I'm familiar with the skulls. Mixed up sometimes. That's the one with uh, Joshua Jackson about the hidden society in the college. Oh, okay. They have to do some initiation. Yeah, I, I think I get them mixed up. Um, but then, and then he says, "I'm also suggesting Blair Witch 2. No, not the remake, the 2000 movie Book of Shadows. It was hastily greenlit uh, cash cash grab in on the Blair Witch success and actually acknowledges it by having the main character be a guy cashing in on the Blair Witch success by running tours of the woods, the movie of the woods where the movie was filmed. It was a weird style where you don't know what is real and what isn't. (laughs) And if you enjoyed watching it once, it's worth watching it twice. It was a love or hate it with this. Oh, it was a love or hate it movie with so many hidden details that fits this podcast well. So, uh, I told my wife that that was suggested, <laughs> and she says you can't watch it while I'm in the house. 
So we'll see what gets picked. Um, I have added those two to our Halloween ones. Again, like I said, um, anything that's not picked, we'll just go back into the regular list after. Um, the only ones that we'll keep off will probably be the Christmas ones if we get more than four. Because yeah, as soon as really January Christmas runs around, it's time. Christmas is kind of over uh, for me. Yeah. So on our list of movies right now, we have Freddy vs. Jason, Idle Hands. Oh, I gotta remove this one. Uh, Casper, Cockneys vs. Zombies, the fac- uh, Beetlejuice, Labyrinth, The Faculty, and Blair Witch 2. So I'm going to go to our wheel and take off Final Destination. So we did that. And now we're going to spin it. <laughs> and I'm really hoping for Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> the faculty. And right it's the faculty, actually. Oh, cool. Okay. I have not You're seen in that in full. So. Um, yeah, I I don't think I've seen it in full. I know it's probably one of those that I've like saw on TV a little bit and then was like caught half of it, like half of a cut version or whatever, you know. So right yeah, on. that'll be fun. That will be fun. That's cool. Um, I think that's it. Make sure you guys get your emails in um, for Christmas time. Um, we have. Probably one. Maybe we'll do we'll do one more after next week's for Halloween because sure. that'll be like almost Halloween. We'll miss it by a day. So yeah, we'll do <laughs> two like more it. weeks of the spooky ones. All um, right. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. All right. Next Take week we're going to discuss the 1998 film The Faculty, picked for us by Matt B. Remember, you can help select the movie we watch next by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter at youpickwewatch to get updates, special posts, recommendations, and uh, just general information. If you like what you hear, please just give us a quick five-star review saying, hey, I like this. It really does help. I'm Regan. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at <laughs> author Regan Brooks. And I'm Jess. You can find me on Twitter at RadMadMal. And uh, yeah, this has been awesome. This was a great episode to talk about. It's actually <laughs> probably going to be our longest one. So you're welcome. <laughs> Take it easy. And uh, we 